as the room kind of settles back, um, typically here at Redeemer, what we're doing is we're just working our way um, through a, a, a book of the Bible. We, ch- we tend to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament, and we just preach through it chapter by chapter. Um, and, and so we have both recently been in Second Samuel. We're taking a one-week hiatus. Um, we will pick Second Samuel back up next week. Um, but this morning, I think it's important for us um, to be careful not to let the familiarity of the story, not to let the familiarity of the season of Easter um, rob us, right? To dull us into thinking that it's, it's not a big deal or it's not um, significant or to let it just kind of become this cliche thing that we, we nod at and we can mentally affirm and our hearts would agree with, but yet it has very little impact because it's, it's beautiful, good news. Um, would we not let a desire for um, kind of just a perfect Easter, like that checklist that maybe is already running through your mind of the things that you need to do, stuff you've left in the oven, did you leave it on, right? All the things that need to happen this afternoon, that it would be easy for us in the hustle and bustle of, of making sure we get all the boxes checked, right? That we miss the significance of what we're celebrating today. And, and in the midst of that, right, of the familiarity, of, of just the desire for a good holiday, we have an enemy, right? An enemy who does want to distract us, who does want to, to rob us of, of setting in and seeing Jesus as glorious and as good and as beautiful. And so that can happen by simply keeping us from being here. That can happen from distracting us in the midst of the service by um, things going on around us or things in our own heart or things that are coming this afternoon um, to just busy us. And so our prayer would be that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open, our ears would be open to receive and to hear, to be reminded of the power and the glory of salvation that transforms, because Jesus, He saves. He does. And He is worthy of worship. And so on Friday night, we had a, a Good Friday service where we lamented, where we confessed, where we were reminded of the cost, right, that we didn't pay that Jesus paid on our behalf, right? That, that, that the innocent one died on behalf of the guilty. And we left in a, in a spirit of reflection and of quiet. And yet this morning we want to celebrate and proclaim that that's not the end of the story, that Jesus did come out of the tomb. And so as we're going to look at John 20, and so if you want to turn to John 20, um, or if you have a phone or some device that you'll be reading along with us, um, we, we're reminded that the people, as we saw in Luke 23, they left the cross beating their chest, right? Sad, grieving, mourning. That we know that there was fear. We know that there was doubt, that there was concern, there was confusion, there was uncertainty. There was just bitter sadness of did we miss something? What is going on? And so let's even just note the emotion um, and the the emotional swings that we're going to see as we read in John 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John just couldn't help but leave that little nugget in there. And stooping to look in, 
He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now skip down to verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing the you may have life in His name. And so this morning, what we're going to do um, briefly is we're just going to look at some implications for the fact that Jesus is alive. Like, what are some resurrection implications for us in our lives today? And it's going to be a, a kind of a quick flyover. We could stop and bore down into any one of these for the rest of the day. And we're not even going to begin to touch the list of potential um, resurrection implications. This is simply... Um, a, a brief list, hopefully going to stir our hearts and our affection to remind us of why it matters that Jesus did not just live the life that we did not. That He did not just die the death that we deserve, but that He walked out of the tomb. That He's alive today. And so the first implication is this, is that we're free. Right? We have been freed. That we were in bondage and enslaved to sin. Because of our father Adam, right? And because of each of our own rebellion, that we have sinned against the holy God. We have turned our our backs and our faces towards Him. We have been enemies of God. And and so His wrath was was going to be poured out on us if it wasn't for Jesus. And so we see that, that Jesus is the second Adam. That where the first Adam has led us into sin, the second one is going to lead us into life. This is Romans 5. And so man had to die. But only God can overcome death. And we see both of these found in the person of Jesus, that He is the God-man, the one who tasted death on our behalf, and the one who has overcome death and has been back to life, that He has kept His promises. 
And so what it means for us this morning is this, is that our enemies have been vanquished. Right? The power of sin has been broken. It holds no, it has no hold over us anymore. The handcuffs have been broken. The power has been broken. This is Romans 8. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that death then has lost its sting, that we don't have to fear death in the same way that for generations people have had to fear death as the great separator. And it means that Satan's days are numbered. So we're no longer slaves to fearing death for those who trust Jesus. We're no longer slaves to our enemy Satan because his days are numbered. And we're no longer slaves to sin because the power of sin was broken when Jesus walked out of the tomb. We needed his life as an example. We needed his death as a sacrifice. But we have victory as well. We have proof in the resurrection, that He is who He claimed to be. Second one, I told you we're going, to, we're going to move through these. It's not just that we've been freed and our enemies have been vanquished, it's that we have access to God once again. Earlier in John, in chapter 14, verse 6, a very um, famous passage, Jesus says to His disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, as he walked out of the tomb, he is saying, follow me. Trust me. Know me. I'm going back to the Father. I've done everything I said I would do. And where I'm going is where you belong. That he is the good shepherd, that he calls his people. And we recognize his voice and we follow him back to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, For through Him, meaning Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Right? We see this idea many times in Scripture that we have access back to God the Father because of Jesus' sacrifice. Earlier in Ephesians 2, we're told that we're children of wrath. Right? Like in our sin, we are children of wrath opposed to God. But by the grace of God, by Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection, that we're no longer children of wrath for those who have heard His call, received it, and are following Him back to the Father, who have access back to Him. Romans 8 would say that we're co-heirs. Not only were we brought in and and given forgiveness and given salvation, we are brought into the family as co-heirs. We are sons and daughters of the King. We have a place of security, a place of belonging that is stable in His hands, and it will not be taken from us. Right, that we are His. And not only has He given us access back to the Father, that we get to run into the throne room of grace, bringing our prayers and our petitions and our, our, our laments and our cries to Him, right, but that we get to go before Him right, as sons and daughters. It's a place that we can run into because we belong. He's also given us the church. And would we be reminded that the church is not this building, that the church is this people, It's a people who are trusting and following and treasuring Him. That we have a place to belong here with one another. And listen, it's an imperfect place, right? As we are striving to know Him. As we're striving to become more like Him. As Jesus is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. It's not a fast process. But it's a place to belong and to love one another. And to pursue Jesus together. And to be not okay. And yet to know we're being transformed. 
to live out the, the one and others of Scripture together. And he's given us a place to look forward to, but he's also given us a place here to see the gospel lived out in all of its beauty, in all of its glory, in this world, in the midst of the presence of sin, we're seeing heaven break in in the church, his people. So we have, we've been freed, our enemies are vanquished, we've been given access. The third is this, is we get to, because Jesus is alive, we get to just delight in him. Right, like sometimes the word worship, which is right and good, we just can throw that around as a church word, but we get to delight in a risen Savior. He's not a mere historical figure that we know things about, that we could take a test and check off boxes of, of pieces of information. He is worthy of worship. And because He walked in our shoes literally for 30 plus years, He understands life, fear, death, right? He understands betrayal. He understands humiliation and mocking. And so He understands us, and that's why having access to Him is such a gift. He can be known. Church, we've said this already this morning, but He hears our prayers. He hears our songs. He receives them and responds to them. I think sometimes we look at prayer as like mental gymnastics. Right? Like that we're like, I think I'm talking to God, but I'm just going to convince myself of this. And, and we treat it as something less than it is. That you get to commune and communicate with the Holy One. The One who created it all. The One who is currently holding it all together. The One who will one day split the sky and return to us. Right? To, to, to make all things right for all time. We can know Him. He is knowable. And He has done the work for us to have access to Him. So we can delight in knowing Him. The fourth is this, that He is able. He's powerful. Like He is, he is able. Church, this morning, there are people on your heart, on your mind, maybe on your lips in prayer that are being heard by God. So you're asking Him to rescue them for the scales to fall off of their eyes, for them to have belief. You're asking for healing physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, in all those regards. You're asking for restoration of lost things. And God is able to do that. Why? Because the same God who healed, the same God who brought others back from the dead, the same God who quieted the storms, who walked on water, also walked out of a tomb. Right? This is good news that He is alive today to be trusted and known. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 17. Christ may dwell, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, right, church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, right? that we can know Him, we can delight in Him, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look, He's able. Listen to verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Church, this morning, for those of you who know Jesus, you are proof that He makes dead things alive. And He makes dead things alive because He's alive. 
And so then we can pray and move forward and hope and ask Him because He hears us to do that in the lives of others. Which brings us to our fifth one. That He's given us a purpose. He's given us mission. And one of those things is to know Him, right? To know Him and be known by Him. To, to celebrate and to rejoice and to delight in Him. But another aspect of this is found in Acts 1. That He's given us a mission. Listen to verse 2. Beginning in verse 2. Acts 1. Until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, so right here we're, we're being reminded that He is speaking right to the disciples. He, he showed Himself. He proved Himself. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians that He showed up to more than 500 people right, to witness His resurrection. Go down to verse 6. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? They're still a little confused about what's, what's happening here. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So right, he's standing there, and there's, he says, Listen, hey Jesus, um, so what's going to happen now? And he says, What I want you to do is to make disciples. It's to tell people what I've done and who I am to all the ends of the earth. Okay, Jesus, but how long should we do that? Until you see me again. Church, we are 2,000 years removed from this moment where Jesus ascends into heaven, right? And you can imagine they're standing there watching going, Haven't, like, this is different. And as they're standing there just kind of looking like, what do we do now? He's, he's just told them. The two angels show up and they're like, Hey guys, why are you looking up? You have work to do. You have purpose. You have mission. Do it until he splits the sky again. The church, the mission is the same for us. We're in Pampa, Texas, 2,000 years removed, right? Living in the panhandle, right? We, in, in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment, right? With our friends, on our, our kids' sports teams, we have a job. It is to know Jesus, to be known by Him, and to make Him known. To make disciples, that they would see and trust and, and give, they, that their hearts would be stirred for affection, and that they would delight in Jesus as well. That they would know Him and trust Him. And what it means is, yes, we are here this morning to worship, but as we leave today, all of your life is worship. The way that you respond right to a, a sharp word, the way that you spend your money, right? The way that you, you treat your employees. The way that you discipline your children. The way that you treat your significant other. Right? The decisions that you make. All of these things, it, are, there's no gray. They're either honoring and worship and pleasing to God, or they're not. They're not trusting Him in their sin. And so he says, hey, in all of life, I want you to speak to the hope that you have 
that others would know me and trust me and delight in me because he is worthy of that worship. And listen, he is able to save. As long as someone is breathing, they are not too far gone. That he transforms dead things into live things. And he does it in us and he does it in others for his sake and his name and his glory. And so he's saying, church, let's, let's get after it. We are able to be on mission because Jesus is alive. And so the rest of the book of Acts, Jesus is not on the scene. And yet there's just this assumption that everything that's happening, he's doing, he's at work because they have access to him through prayer. They have the gift of his spirit present with them so that they're not alone. That he's with them, that he's moving the ball forward that hasn't changed until the day where he will split the sky for his church, for his people. And then ministry ceases, but adoration, devotion, and delight in Jesus won't. Last one we're going to look at this morning. Besides the fact that we're freed, that we have access, that we can delight in him, that he is powerful and able, that we have mission and purpose, is that he changes our present, and he changes our future. Listen, um, we get heaven in the deal. And, and it's weird to say just heaven. It's more than just heaven, right? That's, that's enough. But he also changes our circumstances here and now. Listen, we, if you have begun to have a growing sense of uncomfortability in the world around us, right? Like that this, this doesn't feel quite like it's home, that, you're, that you quite feel like you belong, that's a gift from God. That's a grace because we're not home. We are, we are travelers and sojourners on our way to where we belong, where we will be for all time. Where we were intended to be, what we were created for was to know and to walk and to be with God and His people forever. And so, he has changing, He's changing our situation now. The church, well, here's what it means. You can't lose. Right? You can't lose. In life, we have the Spirit to walk with us, Right, he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Right, that we have a mission and a purpose to do until Jesus calls us home or until he returns for us. And so like Paul, we can say, listen, the worst you can do is take my body. And yet Jesus has already told his disciples in John 11 that a, that a believer never truly tastes death. They just step into the presence of God. Right, that their faith is made sight. And so we don't have to fear death, right, because death has lost its sting. Because Jesus has proven to have power over death. And so death is simply the door into being with Him in a bodily way. Right? Like So we can live this life with boldness, on mission, trusting and delighting in Jesus. We can't lose. In life or in death. Now listen, hear me. That does not mean that there won't be pain or suffering. Okay? There will be in this world. Because we're still in the presence of sin. We're still being transformed and changed even in our salvation. Right? But it means that it's not wasted. That God is doing something in all of it for our good. And now listen, the, the quick thing here is, hey, that's cliche. Right? God turning bad things into good. Church, Easter is proof of that. That by the hands of wicked men, Jesus was put to death. They meant it for evil. They meant it for, for nothing good, to destroy him, to lay down an insurrection, right, that they thought was coming, to kill this false teacher, this Messiah, 
Right? They, they were looking to kill him, to be done with him, to wash their hands of it, and to move forward in life. And yet God turned what wicked people wanted, what lawless people wanted, into the greatest news the world has ever heard. That Jesus is alive, our enemies have been vanquished, and that we can know him. Right? Like, he has done it. He has turned what was meant for evil for good. And so, yes, you will have pain and you will have suffering and it will not be wasted. It will not be wasted. And there will be a day where you will say it was light and momentary compared to the surpassing weight of glory that we will have with Jesus for all time. And so, in death, we don't have to fear. And in life, in all circumstances, we can have joy right? because Jesus has triumphed. We can have peace because we're at peace with God. We can have hope because we know what our future holds. And so it begins to, to wash over all of our circumstances. We can face any difficulty right, with, with trust because we're not alone. Listen, church, it doesn't mean it's easy. Right? We, we still fear things. We still don't want things to happen. We can still worry. And, right, and that's where Jesus will tell us and remind us I understand. You have access to me. You can pray. You have access to the Father. I've left the Spirit. I've given you my word. I've kept my promises. I've given you a church to walk with. And I'm coming back for you. Right? Like the resurrection has implications not just for Easter Sunday, but for every moment of life, for every season of life, for every situation in life, until our faith has been made right. Now listen, we could stand and list implications and benefits the rest of the day. So we're going to stop there this morning. And the band's going to come back up and we're going to sing, right? Wanting our, our hearts and our, our lips and our minds to agree with the things that we're singing that are true about God. And during this time, during the next uh, three songs, if you would like to take the Lord's Supper, um, you, can, you can get up as an individual, as a family with friends and, and do that. Um, it's set up in uh, four locations around the room. Um, at any point, you can do that. Um, but listen, we, we, we take the Lord's Supper um, as believers. right? Because in the Lord's Supper, we're doing it for a couple reasons. We're remembering both Good Friday, when Jesus' body was broken on our behalf so that ours wouldn't be. right? We're remembering as we take the bread that it's His body crushed. And as we take the juice, that it's His blood that was spilt, not yours. He has obtained salvation on your behalf. We're remembering that as we take the supper, Good Friday portion, and we're also praying, confessing sin, and wanting to walk in obedience because He's alive to hear those prayers. Right. So as we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering both Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, both. And so you can sit if you need to sit. You can stand if you need to stand pray and sing, take the supper. Listen, I know it's going to be a little crowded as you maneuver. Um, and, and there'll be some men and women um, in the back of the room if you need someone to talk to, to pray with. But let's sing to our King who hears our praises this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the grace upon grace that you pour out. Lord, as we take the cup, as we take the bread, this morning, would we be reminded that it was costly to be called sons and daughters of the King? We just didn't have to pay the cost. So would we give you worship and praise? God, would we confess sin? If, if there's any um, 
thing that we need to confess before we take the Lord's Supper, God, that you would remind us of that. God, if there's a relationship that needs to be mended that maybe is even in the room, that we would make a, a walk across the room and do that. God, that we would not take the cup and the bread in vain. God, but we would be reminded of what it accomplished, that we have access to the Father for all time, for what we were created for. So, Father, would you speak, would you move, would you work in these moments to bring confession of sin, to bring healing, to bring restoration of relationships, God, to bring praise and glory and honor to your worthy name. Jesus, we need you. We ask you to move and to speak through your spirit and through your word now. In your name we pray. Amen.